Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Investor, joined by my co-host, Simon Belanger. And hey, how am I doing on that uh, French accent, by the way? Oh, it's getting better. Every, <laughs> that was pretty good. Every think. show, it's getting better. Yeah. That was pretty good. Uh, of course, I am Braden Dennis. And today we are going to talk about value versus growth, two highly debated topics and investing strategies. Both have a lot of merit um, and both make a lot of sense. Um, people tend to kind of throw themselves in one or the other bucket. Uh, myself, I do both at the same time. I think that's the best way to execute a strategy. Um, and yeah, we can talk a little bit about the differences. So value investing at its core is looking at publicly traded companies and determining if they are a bargain based on what they're worth. And this implements a concept called margin of safety, where uh, Benjamin Graham, who kind of founded value investing with his book, The Intelligent Investor, way, way back, who was a mentor and teacher to Warren Buffett, he introduced this concept called the margin of safety, which basically meant if you could liquidate all of its assets right then and there, it would be what it's trading for on the stock market. And then you'd be getting a free business. So no matter what, you have that margin of safety built into it, into the price. So um, you're looking for bargains and, and trying to find undervalued companies. And that's really the core concept of it. Simon, do you want to talk about growth investing or even add to value investing? Uh, yeah, so definitely uh, value investing, like Braden said, uh, you want to look at companies that uh, in your mind or when you do an analysis that uh, they seem undervalued to what they're offering. Um, so there's different ways to look at it. Uh, an easy way to put the margin of safety is just basically projecting what you think the uh, company is worth and then looking at what it's currently uh, worth on the stock market. And then the difference between the two would be your margin of safety. So it gives you, you know, it's never an exact science it gives you a little bit of uh, leeway in case your analysis is not correct so that's uh, an easy way for people to understand the margin of safety um, there's different ways of calculating it discounted cash flow and things like that we can probably have a full episode just on that uh, by itself um, in terms of uh, for my investing style so I'm a bit like that too I'll kind of do um, a mix of value investing and growth investing. I would say the core of my portfolio is more focused on uh, blue chip companies that I try to get at a good price. And I do keep about 15, 20% for companies that are really growth oriented. So um, in terms of growth companies, what usually people are looking at, well, there's, it's a big basket, so they're not all created equal. Um, there's a bunch of different metrics that uh, you'll be looking at. You can still look at price-to-earnings ratio that we've talked on previous episodes about. Um, you can still look at uh, price-to-cash flow, price-to-free cash flow. Um, however, when you look at growth investing, there's a big portion of the market that uh, um, has companies that are actually not profitable. So when you start looking at that and they're not profitable, where there's no P rate, 
ratio if there is no E in terms of earnings or profits. So when people are looking at these type of companies, uh, they tend to value them uh, differently a little bit. So they'll look at the price to sales, for example. So if any of you are looking at uh, Beyond Meat or Uber, um, that's a metric that they will be looking at or a lot of the marijuana companies are not profitable as well. So they'll look at the price to sales. Um, so that's a metric that they will be looking at. Um, they're definitely a bit more difficult to value and they tend to look at the future. So there, there's a lot baked in in terms of expectations of what the company will become. Um, that, yeah, that, have, that's a yeah. great synopsis. Yeah, it, it, the typical ratios you'll see on a price to sales or price to earnings, price to free cash flow um, vary a lot when you're looking at a growth stock. However, at its core, um, there is an art to being able to do both by picking up companies that have growing free cash flow, growing revenue, growing earnings, and are not trading at ridiculous prices. Um, and I'll probably talk about Warren Buffett every episode of, of this show, but um, he was huge, huge on picking up companies at a bargain price. Um, not really looking at the quality of the business. And it wasn't until he really met uh, Charlie Munger, his business partner at Berkshire Hathaway, that really changed his mindset to finding great quality companies, which will generally have, you know, growing top lines, growing profits over the long term at a fair price. And that's where he really shifted his mindset into finding great quality companies. Usually they have growth in them um, at fair prices. And I personally, I mean, I, I'm always truly a value investor at heart, but if a company doesn't have growing free cash flow or growing um, revenue, at least, I'm just, I'm just not even going to you know, fish in that pond. And I think it's a lot easier to find winners um, with, with high quality businesses that are growing in those areas um, at fair prices than, you know, trying to find a, a, a dying business at a deep value discount. Um, that's another strategy called deep value investing, where you're trying to look for turnarounds, um, companies that have the market really, really hates because um, their business is declining. A company like that uh, comes to my head right now is GameStop. A lot of deep value investors have been trying to pick up GameStop for five years now, and they have <laughs> not had a very fun time doing that. So I think GameStop is down about 90% five years to date. So I mean, there's a lot of things you have to consider when you're looking at deep value. Yeah, and one of the things that people, a good analogy, again, if we go back at uh, Warren Buffett, I think he compared those to, uh, you know, a cigar, a cigar butt or a cigarette butt in terms of like having a few puffs left in that cigarette or that cigar. So deep value, you want to kind of maximize that little bit of life that's left in the business and recognizing the value. The problem with that is you need to be able to really um, identify these businesses really well. And as soon as you kind and uh, realize that value and that gain and you don't think there's any more value, you really have to sell those because generally what it means is they'll usually go towards zero afterwards. So it gets a little tricky and I would say it's probably something that's uh, I personally don't uh, do and I don't think, uh, well, like you just said, you don't really do yourself. And then in terms of buying great businesses that are increasing profits, increasing sales, increasing cash flow, I've had a great history um, in the past and they're going forward and the prospects look very good. If you can get them as a fair price, you can really you know, cash in on that 
that over 5, 10, 15, 20 years, or like Warren Buffett would say, forever, uh, because those are great companies and you don't have to worry about selling them. You just kind of hold them, uh, you know, uh, until you can't, you can't anymore for whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. And it comes to companies that are growing at, you know, unprecedented rates and, you know, extremely profitable. So not trading at insane valuations when you're looking at like a PE or something. Um, the, what comes to mind is like the Googles of the Microsofts of the world, which, you know, people have been saying are so, so expensive, um, for so long. And if you look at it five years ago and you go, wow, it was so cheap because the earnings have been explosive and then it keeps that relative valuation, but you know, earnings have multiplied by five. So it does take that foresight, you know, good quality companies will always kind of have that. You kick yourself five years later because you thought it was expensive then, but you'd be, you're like, wow, it was so cheap back then. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of what makes investing hard, right? Is you have to be able to look into the future. Investing is, is about what you're paying the price now um, for its returns in the future. So, I mean, no one has a crystal ball and that's what makes the whole thing kind of fun. Mm -hmm. And one more note I think I, I'd want to add to um, growth investing is uh, growth investing can be very tricky because you're looking, uh, there's oftentimes no dividends involved, so there's nothing to fall back on and kind of create a floor for the uh, for the price of the company. Uh, that's one of the things. And these companies, because the expectations are so high, um, if the company doesn't meet expectations in terms of sales or um, they fall short of expectations, you it's not unusual usual to see those growth companies uh, being down 30, 40, 50% in a single day because the earnings come out and uh, they just didn't meet the expectations. And I, uh, uh, one company that comes to mind, it is a U.S. stock and uh, U.S. company. It's uh, called Grubhub. So if you guys look that up, uh, you'll see Grubhub is like uh, DoorDash um, over here, or it's like uh, Uber Eats and things like that. So they provide food delivery service. Um, and there was a lot of expected growth. And when they came out with the earnings and they actually didn't meet expectation, the company got completely uh, slashed in terms of price. So that's something that will happen a lot more with uh, growth companies because there's such a high expectation uh, for them to you know, keep growing as, at an accelerated rate in a lot of cases. Whereas if you buy a really good business at a fair price, you'll actually find that usually those are not as volatile. And in the long term, they'll do as well, if not better than the even the best growth companies. Yeah, exactly. And I look for opportunities where you can find both um, and even get that dividend as well, like you were talking about. Um, an example that comes to mind is two years ago, I couldn't believe how cheap uh, big blue chipper alimentation Kush Tard was. Um, and if you're not familiar with them, they're the old Max convenience stores. I think they're still Max branded in Quebec, but Circle K is their big flagship convenience store brand uh, they grew like a weed down in the states um, and and in Asia as well and then rebranded it all to, to Circle K and for whatever reason the dividend growth was insane the revenue growth was insane the like on all fundamentals you're thinking wow this is a really nice growth stock and it's trading at really really low multiples so sometimes you can find those um, it, where it meets both. However, you have to be careful of value traps, making sure you're understanding what their debt structure looks like as well, because there are a lot of really smart people out there and the market might 
be pricing it low for a reason. So if you do all your checks and you think you, you really sold on there's there's nothing wrong with it, then that's when you jump on an opportunity. And well, since buying it AT, like ATD.B, I'm, I'm up close to close to 100 percent. I would say I think it's like 80 percent year to, uh, to date. So that was only two years ago. So sometimes you can find some awesome opportunities where value and growth kind of meet in this awesome intersection. And that's where I spend most of my time. Yeah, and for those who are interested in uh, like getting more into the growth, um, having a portion of the portfolio really targeted towards just growth, whether the companies are profitable or not. I mean, I always I remember hearing a piece of advice, and I thought it was great. Is do, you know, does it, you know, are you having trouble sleeping at night because of what you own in terms of uh, companies and stocks? And that's a good test. Some people might have uh, higher risk tolerance. They might want to also place bets on companies that are losing money, like Amazon was in the late 1990s or early 2000s. If you're going to do that, my best best piece of advice is keep it to a small portion of your portfolio, kind of your fun, fun money, if you'd like a bit like, um, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, but it's almost like gambling and you keep that a small portion and you might hit, you might miss. Uh, there might be some of those bets that uh, go bankrupt. If you really want to be doing that with a portion of your portfolio, keep it a small portion and, uh, you know, just be ready to, you know, it's very possible that some of these companies will go to zero at some point. Some may have explosive growth, but if you don't overexpose yourself, usually you won't, uh, uh, you know, you won't harm yourself too badly. Yeah, that that's a really good point. So Simon, I got a question for you. What? Uh, and let's just let's let's use Top Line as an example. Yeah. When you see a company and you're looking at its five year fundamentals, or even like a year over year. Yeah. And you see its revenue growth. What number are you looking at and thinking? Okay, this is this is a, a fast growing company compared to. Um, what a Peter Lynch will call like a stalwart, which is it's increasing, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not going to be a 10 bagger, but you know, it's, it's probably a safe thing to own in your portfolio. It's growing. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not growing at a really fast rate. What's kind of that threshold when you see revenue growth or even earnings growth respectively, uh, to really have a really fast growing company, I would say that's more of a personal thing and you might hear different things elsewhere. Uh, personally, anything that's uh, in terms of revenue that's increasing by more than 20% a year is pretty fast growth. I mean, you'll see some newly tech, uh, some tech businesses that were uh, newly listed or IPOs that are growing at 30, 40, 50% uh, year over year. Um, so that's extremely fast. The only thing you have to keep in mind, it's really hard to repeat those rates year after year. And what people tend to do, unfortunately, is they'll say, okay, this company grew 30% last year. Well, if it keeps growing at 30%, you know, for the next 10 year, like, I'll make a thousand, like 500% or whatever on my returns. Well, the bigger the company's growing, the harder it will be to keep that growth rate as high. So you have to keep that in mind. Uh, but I would say in terms of stalwart, um, uh, I guess it varies. I would say anywhere around 5% or more. I think it's very solid in terms of growth year over year. Yeah, exactly. And you'll see that aging. It, it's funny. You'll see... In the real explosive growth period, you'll see their top line growing, yeah, like you said, 20, 25, all the way up to you know 50% a year. And then as the co company matures, you'll see that revenue start to start to taper down. But pr 
profits will be the one that all of a sudden uh, their earnings all of a sudden are going into that double digit 15 20% growth and and that's that com- the company signaling that they're you know really making their business efficient and finding efficiencies and gaining pricing power so i find watching the evolution in the life cycle of the companies pretty interesting and how those numbers play out um because i think being a, a you know a historian of the market is really important not only to learn from the past but to also learn from the types of trends you see with companies maturing out of that growth period um, starting to pay a dividend starting to grow that dividend and trying to then replicate um, you know where can I position myself to find that next company yeah yeah definitely so do you want to talk a little bit about our uh, our pick this not our pick, sorry. Our discussion. Yeah, our discussion. Our discussion company. Um, this week, we're going to talk about Lululemon. Um, I'll let yeah. you take the floor. Yeah, so I think everyone is probably familiar with Lululemon at this point. Um, so just to kind of an overview of the company, obviously, they make their uh, apparel. What I really like about the company is they have uh, pricing power. Um, I'm sure, you know, um, everyone knows a woman in their life, uh, whether it's their girlfriend or spouse. Hey, man, I love Lululemon. <laughs> Well, even guys, and that's what I was going to get at, and I love their stuff too. Uh, but really, like if you talk, I know I have uh, my fiance. she probably has 15 different pairs, and she won't, like, she will not mind paying $100 plus for a pair of leggings, like at all. They have a, like, tremendous pricing power. And uh, why they're still growing so quickly, even though it seems like uh, every woman in Canada owns a pair of Lululemon, it's because they are trying to focus even a bit more on growth in terms of men's apparel. And I think I'm like you. I do love their clothes. All my workout gear is actually Lululemon. I find that super comfortable, super breathable. Uh, but they do have that pricing power. I find they have really good quality and uh, their margins have been improving even as we as it may sound they were able to grow even though uh, nike under armor and other companies have kind of gone into that space um they've really kept uh, their brand intact they have not discounted uh, much of their stuff they do have some sales but it's usually not huge discounts and what i really like is they actually do most of their sale direct from uh, directly to customer. So whether they have their own shops or they do it online, you won't find uh, any Lululemon or very rarely any Lululemon stuff on uh, Amazon and things like that. You actually go directly to them, which improves their margin. So there is a lot to like about that business. but of course, right now, I feel like it's a little overvalued, but that's a company that I definitely have on my radar. I think it's a company, if I can get at the right price, I would own that for years and years. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think their price, their stock is priced similar to the kind of multiples that their clothing is priced at, at uh, over 50 times earnings. Um, it's yeah, 54 times earnings trailing 12 months right now. Uh, over eight times sales, trailing 12 months, and 94 times free cash flow, yeah. which, uh, you know, these these numbers are, you know, quite insane. It's it's a $28 billion in market cap right now, which is quite astounding for a Vancouver startup. And, um, yeah, just looking at the numbers, a 38% return on equity of the last 12 months, 30% return on invested capital. Those numbers are, like, obscene. Like, they're 
incredibly um, impressive. However, you know, that valuation, I'm really trying to understand how that's even possible. So, yeah, that, that's that's my stance on it right now. I was saying right before we started recording this with, with Simon that back when their CEO was getting let go, who was actually their founder uh, over some controversial statements that he had made, that stock looked incredibly cheap back then. I didn't buy it. I mean, that's stupid for me not to do that. But here we are. Um, do you happen to know why? And this, this is a good question. And if, if you don't know, that's fine. They used to be listed in Canada, and they pulled their listing to just be in the U.S. on the Nasdaq. Is there like a reason for that? Is there is there fees? Obviously, they have to pay fees to be publicly listed, but that couldn't have been the reason for them to move off of a Canadian um, exchange. I'm I'm just I'm questioning myself. Um, it's too bad. They used to be listed on the TSX. I think they pulled it maybe a year and a half ago, and I, I might be wrong on that number. Yeah, I'm, uh, as you're talking, I was kind of trying to Google it to see if uh, there was anything. I mean, my best guess would be that, uh, yeah, for fees, it was probably more uh, cost effective. Um, kind of sucks for Canadian investors <laughs> that would like to invest on the Toronto Stock Exchange for this uh, this company. Um, that would be my best guess in terms of um yeah i think the article i'm seeing quickly is the volume was too low for them to make it worthwhile to stay on the canadian exchange so they just decided to stay on the nasdaq hmm yeah that's yeah that sounds weird to me like there's something going on that we don't know (laughs) their volume couldn't have been that low like they've always been you know a 10 billion plus market cap for you know at least several years now so And there's a lot of Canadian companies that are traded on both the U.S. and the Toronto Stock Exchange, too. So, I mean, that's what the uh, like this article is saying. I don't know the real reasons, but uh, um, in terms of Lululemon, for me, it's the type of company that I would consider at probably a higher um higher price than I would usually for like a lot of other companies. The reason I think I mentioned earlier, they have like a really good mode pricing power. Um, they have margins that are improving. They seem to be managing the company very well. Um, and management seems to, even when they change CEOs or C-suite, it seems to kind of just keep going. There seems to be a good culture uh, there too. That's Personally, that's the type of company that I would seriously consider buying if it could kind of get close to 30 times uh, price to earnings and uh, obviously compared to what it's trading at right now it would have to go down about half in price but uh, it's a company I'd be willing to pay definitely a bit more of a premium compared to like maybe more traditional value investing yeah that makes sense the the pre it definitely deserves a premium but it leads me back to all the brands that have had such dominance over decades that you don't even hear of anymore um as soon as Adidas took over Reebok, they stopped putting the effort into the brand and it was more about Adidas. And Reebok has basically, uh, their top line has fallen off a cliff. You just wonder like with with uh, with trends and, you know, they really, Lululemon has completely capitalized on the trend of athleisure, yep. which is, you know, being able to wear you know, jogging pants anywhere you want. Um, so they've really capitalized on that. And you just wonder like, one is that we look back and go, that was such a weird trend. Um, so I find trend brands or like clothing brands in general, very hard to 
say that this is going to be a very solid brand in 10 years? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. And one uh, the other thing I was kind of looking at, too, is uh, they have a very nice looking balance sheet. I'm looking at that and very low debt. I mean, they have more cash than they have total liabilities. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah, that's crazy. So they're they have about um, uh, the latest. uh, So January 1st, 2019 stat. So it's not super up to date, but still pretty close. They had uh, close to 900 million in uh, total cash and they had less than, uh, well, they had about 650 in total liabilities. So that's pretty, I mean, that's really a nice balance sheet right there. Um, Obviously, like we said, comes at a premium, but uh, something I definitely have on my radar if there's a pullback. Yeah, I'm seeing here at the end of... uh... The first quarter of 2019, they had almost a billion in cash um, <laughs> sitting on their balance sheet um, over, yeah, one and a half billion in current assets. Yeah, that's that's crystal clean. That's really nice. No debt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> zero, so, zero on the balance sheet. So, yeah, I mean, that's cool. definitely the type of growth companies I do like. I like them. You know, I'm prepared to pay a bit more of a premium uh, for growth companies. I do want them to be profitable, and that's a big difference with, uh, you know, the Ubers, the, uh, um, I think, Slack in the U.S. uh, went out publicly as well, and there's a bunch of them that are not making money. So I do like my growth companies to at least be profitable and, again, at a reasonable valuation, but taking into account that there is a lot of growth involved. Yeah, and it, and it's so speculation based because those companies that were not profitable, like haven't been profitable, losing billions a quarter, like Uber, they had. I know they didn't list until the second half, but using that as an example, those companies had such a strong early 2019, getting pushed to like outrageous valuations. And they've been just horrible to own now for the last six months. So it is really speculation based, and they kind of move all as, and as one um but you're seeing them be horrible to own like canopy growth corp for instance or cannabis you've you've not wanted to own those for six months uh you've lost your shirt on those so i mean yeah it's really speculative so you got to be aware of that kind of risk you're taking on Mm -hmm. and for those i mean in terms of those looking at these type of companies, definitely like make sure you do a lot of research for those. And I would even go into uh, like, especially for companies that just IPO'd, um, make sure you give it at least a couple of quarters, listen to the conference calls with uh, uh, management and at least get a sense if management actually has a plan to get the company profitable. Cause sometimes they will say there's a path to profitability and then it just, just does not make any sense so um yeah those definitely do your homework if you're gonna even consider those and uh you'll have to put in the time if not i mean you might as well go to the casino and gamble to be honest yeah i'm just looking here at lulu's earnings um it's funny their q4 earnings quadruple their q1 earnings makes sense uh with the holiday season so this is a big time of the year for them uh, especially with high ticket price, like obviously people are buying gifts for each other and Lululemon's has a really strong brand there. So uh, I guess it'll be important to see what happens Q4. They have uh, analysts have their earnings at 212 a share um, compared to Q4 of 185 
a share in Q4 this year. Yeah, it's pretty pretty good growth. It, mm-hmm. When when you look at these multiples, though, you you expect more. Um, so I guess that's where the <laughs> why we both think it's pretty pricey. Yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. All right. Anything to add on this one? No, I think we uh, kind of like uh, did a good overview of Lululemon and just kind of to give people a bit of an idea of what we look at. And it's you know it's just a bit of a difference to look at uh, a growth company as well. Absolutely. So to summarize, uh, value and growth investing are among two of the most common investing strategies um, where you're picking two different types of companies. Um, As mentioned, I like to find where they intersect. I am a value investor at heart, but I find it's a lot easier to fish in a pond of companies that are growing that top line, growing earnings, growing free cash flow. I think you're going to have a lot more success by finding quality first um, at a good price. Um, Anything to add to that, Simon? Other than that, I think we're uh, good to go. No, no, I think uh, I definitely second that. And uh, yeah, definitely want to be looking for good companies. Hi, everyone. Uh, This is uh, Simon. Thank you for listening to this episode. A quick note on this past episode is that it was pre-recorded in early December. The reason why we can record this week was mainly because I just moved to a new place, so it was pretty chaotic. Um, I'm adding this little bit because uh, we did want to add a tip of the day, so I'll be adding it uh, without Braden here. So our tip of the day today is um, don't invest money that you need in the short term. So in the next couple of years, general wisdom is you don't want to be investing money in the stock market that you'll need in the next uh, five years. The reason for that, we did talk about these things in previous episodes, is that if you do need the money for, say, a down payment for a house in a year or two from now, you've find a perfect house and the market happens to be in a bear market or in a correction, um, it'll be difficult for you to sell that at that point um, and you might have to sell it at a loss and things like that. So in the short term, you generally want to put that money that you might need, uh, whatever the expenses are, um, in something that's a bit more secure. Um, You can think about uh, GICs, so guaranteed investment certificates, uh, high interest savings account. Um, There's different ways that you can put that money aside. I'm sure in a future episode, we can talk about what to do when you want to uh, put some cash aside, whether you want to invest that a bit later on or you need that money in the short term. I think Braden and I have been consistent on this is you want to think about the long term when you invest. So you don't want to be forced to sell um, in the short term. So I hope you enjoyed this tip of the day and the rest of the episode. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com.